Life Audio. Welcome to the Untangling Life Podcast with Rachel Wojo. I'm Rachel, and this podcast is where you'll find the space to clear your head and calm your heart. I'm so glad you're here. Make yourself at home. Welcome to the Untangling Life Podcast with Rachel Wojo, and today I am excited to be able to share a new friend whose name is also Rachel, Rachel Lohman. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm honored to be here with you, Rachel. I am excited. I'm not one to dilly-dally when it comes to conversations. I usually just dive right in deep. (laughs) I'm not a very fluffy person. I guess I shouldn't apologize for that. (laughs) I... I'm just excited to have you, and I would love if you could just share a little bit about who you are and what you do. I know that we have a common heart in that we love to join people together with hope, Mm -hmm. and so I would love for you just to take a moment and introduce yourself. Sure. Well, um, my name is Rachel. So we have a team of Rachels, like you said this morning. (laughs) And I grew up in Indiana. I live here in Southern California now, where I've been over half my life. And as I look back on my life, yeah, this theme has has always been there in some seasons more hidden than others, but this desire to share hope and to communicate a message of hope. And I didn't even know that that was found in Jesus until my early 20s after my parents went through a divorce kind of unexpectedly for our family. And I was out here in California going to college, kind of always thought I'd have that safety net of my family unit to return home to. And once that foundation crumbled, I became pretty desperate to find something that nothing could shake, that the world couldn't shake. And as you know, that can only be found in Jesus. So my years of kind of growing up in the Bible Belt and attending church socially, everything started to click and I became serious about following Jesus in my early 20s. And it led me Um, out of journalism and into seminary where I later met my husband and we've pastored together in various capacities now for nine years. And we had no idea that when it came time to starting a family, that our journey to parenthood would begin with loss. So I would say that the blindsiding experience of that just so abrupt, um, traumatic, shocking, the layers of shame and the processing I had to do with God after that have been so formational in my faith and my understanding of hope as I, as I am today, that, that chapter of, of life and loss really has been so foundational. So I'm excited to share more about that with you. But yeah, right now I am working primarily with Hope Again Collective, which is a handmade jewelry line that tells the stories of moms who have also lost babies. And it's been really meaningful. I am just in awe of how beautiful the jewelry is and how meaningful it is. And I think part of the reason why it's just so sweet and precious to me is that I too lost a baby between my Samuel and my Tara. There's Mm -hmm. a gap of years between the two of them. Sometimes we had our our kids kind of stair-step our younger um, family. Michael is two years older than Tristina, Tristina and Samuel are 19 months apart, but then there's this 
four-year gap between Samuel and Tara. And that is because of the loss that we experienced when I experienced this loss. We had just announced to our kids Mm -hmm. that we were pregnant and we were so excited that very week. And then three days later, I began spotting and that resulted in miscarriage. And we never got to hold or know the baby that was forming inside of me at that time. And there is so much grief and shame associated with that. I think even though it's been 16 years since that passed for me, I think about that and immediately my heart is drawn to women who've experienced this loss, infant loss or miscarriage. And I wanted to just hear from you and talk to you about how your family has walked through this journey faithfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that piece of your story, Rachel. And I'm sorry that we, we know the same pain. We can share the same pain as so many women do. And I'm, I'm surprised every single year you, you think, you know, you get used to it after a certain point. Okay. I know the statistics are out there. I know it's one in three pregnancies or one in four women, but the commonality of it doesn't match the amount of um, space yes. we give to, to process yes. this and for women to have safe places where they can say, mm-hmm. you know, this is a piece of my story. This was a life that God created. This life is part of our family. And for that to receive the validation and recognition, just like it would our living children, it's such um, kind of a complex tension. I feel that, that we live in for us. It's been interesting because we've been pastoring since we've had our loss. And so it's been pretty public, I guess I would say. Uh, and part of that was intentional. Um, the storytelling is is such a big part of my DNA. I knew that I wanted to share this piece of our journey, even though I had never been more nervous to share a piece of my journey. And so we, we did that. I did that on a Sunday morning during a message as it fit in, as I was talking about grief, I shared on social media and it has become such a sweet ministry space, really, because I found that in in starting the conversation with vulnerability and honesty, it in, has invited so many other women, so many other couples to open up to my husband and myself and say, yeah, that's been part of our story too. And we haven't found a place to be able to talk about it without people saying, you know, those cliche trite things that we, we say without knowing any better. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So it's been a very sweet space to sit in as strange as that sounds, because you're really coming alongside people who are in the depths of searching for hope and really asking questions about God and his goodness. And why does he allow what he allows and how can you trust him again? And does biblical hope really make a difference? Like you're asking all of those huge questions for the first mm-hmm. time. And the way that God meets people in those spaces of deep grief is so profound. Yes, I would agree. Since I encountered miscarriage, I have uh, lost a daughter that I cared for, a special needs daughter for 22 years. And um, January 2nd, 2019, the Lord took her home to heaven. And so... Deep grief and deep loss and sorrow are places and spaces that I do feel are sacred. They are invitations to embrace the holy privilege of understanding our God and his presence. Mm -hmm. And 
society tells us to shove them down, to squelch them and to um, shove them under the rug, pass by them, check off the to do's and then move on. And um, we all know that with grief and sorrow, that is not the way it works. There are no task lists that can be completed Mm -hmm. and marked off when it comes to processing all of our emotion that goes along with that crazy roller coaster. Finding hope in strange places is really a focus of mine. Mm -hmm. I ended my book one more step with how to find hope in really strange places, because I think what you've talked about is that this part of your story has now become a place from which you can serve others and help Mm -hmm. others. And that's the cool part about being the hands and feet of Jesus is that he gives us those opportunities that we might not understand otherwise in journeying with Jesus through pregnancy and through, you know, miscarriages through infant loss, you have sort of this beautiful picture you call the five stages of hope. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons why I loved the five stages of hope so much when I picked up your book was because a lot of people believe that there are stages to grief and they think of it as being this linear process that you go through. And I really believe the five stages of hope really helped me see that it's more like a circle. It's Mm -hmm. more like a, um, there is There's not something that's always exactly checked off and done. And so I love your analogy there. Would you share more with us about the five stages of hope? Sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Rachel. I think we long for things that fit into neat boxes and give us some boxes to check off. So we feel a sense of like progress, but Mm -hmm. with grief, it it is just not the way that, that God has designed it. And so, yeah, the stages of hope, are definitely that they're fluid. And what I realized I was lacking a framework for um, after my own loss was there's a lot of talk, you know, in the psychology world about the five stages of grief or the stages of grief. And I didn't have a framework for recovering hope again. Now I know that hope never, you know, really leaves us, but it sure does feel that way. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're deep in grief for the first time, I found myself really needing some sort of roadmap to help me trust hope again and to really believe that the hope that Jesus offers us makes a difference in how we live on this side of eternity where sorrow and loss are a part of our day-to-day in various capacities. So I studied the emotional journey that the disciples take during Holy Week, and I'd actually never done that before. I'd only really looked at Holy Week as kind of these historical events that happened, you know, that we honor in different ways in the church, in the Western church. But I had never put myself in the shoes of the disciples. And what a ride they go on from expectation on Palm Sunday, which is the first stage of hope. Because to have a breach in a relationship with hope, you normally are filled with hope at at one point. There's this high point they're just so excited, so expectant that Jesus is the one, this is the Messiah that they've been waiting for, which for a lot of lost moms feels so reminiscent of when you're holding that positive pregnancy stick and you're thinking, this is it. This is that long awaited moment. It's finally happening. And then just days later for the disciples, they're met with the shock of the news that Jesus tells them at the last supper that he's going to be leaving them. 
And for a lot of lost moms, that happens when we see the first signs that something is wrong with our pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And you enter into this phase of disbelief. Um, no, this isn't really happening. Um, usually we we end up pleading with God to take it away, as we see Jesus do next in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then um, we see the grief that comes with the crucifixion, where at that point, it is clear that death has made its way into our reality. And that is definitely such a sorrowful place. And then it's followed by the silence that comes with Silent Saturday, which for a lost mom, not only is that uh, it's a very tender season, um, it's silence in so many different capacities. A lot of us feel silence from our family and friend circle that we expected to show up and support us. Some of us feel silence from the church we attend, maybe not addressing grief or people walking through different topics in life, different episodes that don't fit, you know, into a Sunday morning. And then most of us feel some degree of silence from the society around us. As we, as we talked about, they're by and largely silent towards pregnancy and infant loss. And then a lot of us feel the silence from God, like, God, where are you? Just as Jesus felt on the cross. And then that's followed um, by the act of hope of resurrection, which comes, you know, in Holy Week on Sunday. And what's been most pressed into me as I've looked at that is the reminder that for the disciples in Holy Week, for the first time, I mean, they, they didn't know that hope and the resurrection was right around the corner. And I think we lose sight of that a lot of times. We want to fast forward through the silence of Saturday and the grief of the week and the pain and the sorrow and all of that and just look to Sunday. But for the disciples, they didn't know that that hope was right around the corner. And that hope, as you know, changes everything. It changes the way that we we relate to our loved ones, our losses. And for me to know that loss doesn't have the final say in my baby's story because of the hope of heaven, that has significantly changed my grief. Mm -hmm. That is huge. I just talked about this topic last night in small Mm -hmm. group. My husband and I host a small group here for our church. And we just talked about the fact that the disciples did not know Mm -hmm. what was happening and that scripture tells us that Jesus actually lifted their eyes and gave them the ability to see the full picture after he was out of the grave. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't, they didn't know that they had not put all the pieces together, even though three or four times prior to the crucifixion, three or four times he had told them, this is what's going to happen, right. but they didn't understand fully. Mm-hmm. So they didn't know. And I think the way that that compares to the conversation today is that it's really hard sometimes to forget that our lives in this world are temporary and they're, they're incomplete. Eternity is where we will understand and we will be able to fathom all that God was doing in our time while we were on this planet. And so we have to be okay with the fact that we are human and limited and we can't fathom eternity, but yet live in light that we have this promise that we will see our loved ones again someday. 
Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. And that that is going to be far greater than anything we can imagine. I love those stages and the beauty of this book is, is your deep articulation into each one of those stages. I am fascinated by Romans 12 too, which mm-hmm. you kind of talk a little bit about in the book, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. So I, I know as a journalist that you love to do research and I'm curious as to what you've learned about neuroscience and processing loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that, that Paul kind of, you know, we think neuroscience is a newer thing that we're studying today, but then we look back at scripture and it's like, what? <laughs> this concept was there from the very beginning. Uh, the Bible is just so incredible in that way and yeah. timeless. Um, yeah. One thing that has really blown me away has been um, some research I found by a neuroscience name, neuroscientist named Robert Burton. And he talks about how the brain likes to, to create meaning out of things that we go through. It's, it's how the brain helps store, especially traumatic events. And the brain looks for story sequences where there's a beginning, a middle and an end. But what happens typically is that we don't know all the stages to the story. So for example, when you're walking through a loss, pregnancy and infant loss, to be specific, most of us don't know why our babies died. So we know how the story started and we know how the story ends, but we don't have that middle piece. Most of us will just never get a medical answer or um, any sort of information to fill in that middle space. What happens though, is that the brain goes to the next familiar script. So if I've been telling myself all of my life that the things that have happened to me that have negatively impacted me are because I haven't been good enough in God's eyes, or I'm not lovable, or I've fallen short in a certain area, or maybe there was someone who spoke something really unkindly over me as a and as an adolescent, and that message has just retained in my mind, we are going to look to the most familiar script in our story. And we're going to insert that there. And then the brain is able to complete the sequence and store it away. And you get a little dopamine, you know, hit and, and that's how the brain likes to process things in a neat and tidy way. The problem with that is, is that so many of us, especially women who have gone through this type of loss and haven't um, been able to talk about it or really find healing, they live with so much shame embedded in their story because they're believing a piece that's not true about who they are, about who God says that they are. And that's taken residence in how they process this story. So I really see um, coupling the research with Paul's invitation in Romans 12 is to take an honest examination of our stories. What have we been telling ourselves about why these losses have, have happened? Now, obviously, we know that we're living in a post-Genesis 3 world where it's a fallen world 
and we are subject to sin and brokenness and decay and death and, and things that are heartbreaking and that we'll never have the answers to this side of eternity. But I think there's really a timely invitation for us to bring those stories before God and say, and it can be scary and it can be vulnerable. Maybe you do this, um, you know, with a therapist or um, a trusted leader in your life, spiritual leader to say, what am I, God, show me what I'm believing. That's not true. And help me to see that help rewire the way my brain understands this story and help my mind be transformed by your truths in this situation. Oh, wow. That is just so, so good. I strongly believe that those narratives that we filled in, in the middle of the story, as you described so many times, those are not true. Exactly. Yes. They're not even truth. We've told ourselves there must be something wrong with me. I must, maybe this is a punishment for something that I did. There are all sorts of places there that I think that we go to that are not only unhealthy, but completely false. And so we have to realign that with not only with what God's word says, but what, what is actual fact in this situation. Sometimes that means the medical truth mm-hmm. of this is, this is really some, not something that medically we know the answer for. And so understanding that those situations and scenarios still exist. I have a really sweet niece who is just so precious to me. She's a kindergarten teacher. She loves children. She's so good with children. And she has suffered so much loss and her journey has just been one that breaks my heart and is one that I wish I could just go fix. You know, you want, you want to just be the one to swoop in there and make it all right. And we don't get that privilege when it comes to life and death. She had a premature baby who was born with complications and he lived in the hospital for many months before he ultimately passed away. The Lord took him to heaven And she has endured such a heartbreaking journey, such, I mean, I can't even explain the depth of what it takes for those of you listening who live in the hospital, basically with your child for many months and then multiple miscarriages. Just even recently, my sister texted me and said, we're pregnant. She was so excited for her. She went in for an ultrasound at 12 weeks and the baby's heart was not beating Mm -hmm. and this is not someone who lives across the country. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not someone who I'm just describing a scenario. This is my own flesh and blood. My niece, my sister was made a grandma because of this baby. And so it's very near and dear to my heart. What would you say to someone like her who is trying to embrace life, but day by day, She's experiencing this great grief and this loss and heartache. What would you say to that woman? Mm -hmm. I would honestly probably want to sit with her and hug her more than words. Yeah. My heart breaks through the pain that, that she is experiencing. Sometimes I found in situations or stories where, well, I know it's not a story. It it is her story, but it's a real life. Um, This is her experience that naming the fact that this is not how God intended life to be Mm. is sometimes 
the most helpful place to start. And I know that that comes with a slew of questions. Well, then why is it the way that it is? But sometimes I think because we are so capable as Westerners and we live in such an advanced society, we can pretty much get by day to day by our own strength. Like if we're, if we're honest, if we had to, I mean, you see people who don't know Jesus that do it every day. So that sometimes I have found myself thinking, I'm not necessarily living in, in this fallen world anymore because we're able to get by with things and be self-sufficient. So sometimes to take it back and to remind ourselves, yeah, this is not God's intention for how life was created to be, that we are still living in such a fallen, sin-stricken world. And I'm not saying that at all, that, that death and loss is, you know, a cause of sin or, or something that comes after that, not at all. But just to remind yourself or in this situation, your knees, that this was not God's heart. This was not God's intention for when he created us back in Genesis one and two, he created life to be sustained and to flourish and to not be cut prematurely and to not um, have these experiences where moms and dads have to say goodbye to their children before they even hold them and meet them or get to walk them to kindergarten. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And sometimes just naming the reality of that situation, of the pain that we experience today can help frame it in such a way that it's, it, it's not forever. Because right. when you're, when you're in an experience where it just feels like loss after loss and it is loss after loss, you start to think this is going to be the trajectory of my narrative. I don't see how God can turn any of this around. And, um, yeah, there's just such, such a tender space really where, where God meets us. And then on a practical basis, if you relate to the feelings of, of Rachel's niece as she was just sharing to remind yourself and hopefully be surrounded by people who can remind you that this was not your fault. God has not abandoned you. God still sees you as we see through scripture. He is so near to people who are in the desert seasons of life, who are suffering, who are without hope. And somehow we don't know how he does it all the time and is a great mystery. But we know that that life and life eternally has the last word. Mm. And just to declare that over the situation um, in hopes that 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 gives some daily hope to sustain her. Yes, yes. I think in my own life on how to even get out of bed mm. in the morning. I'm just the practicality of mm-hmm. people have said to me, how, how did you get out of bed after your daughter died? How did you even do that? And there were two things, but one of them specifically was I would have to tell myself, God has a plan and purpose for me. I did not die when mm-hmm. my daughter died. And I would literally tell myself that it was one of the hardest messages that I had to preach to my own heart. I did not die when my daughter died. God has mm-hmm. more for me. And recognizing that heaven is beautiful and far beyond our imagination and we can't even go there. There are times where I allow my mind to just 
try to curiously wander over into what heaven looks like or what it could be like or how our bodies function in heaven or what our spirits do in heaven. I, I like to go there, but I think the reason I like to go there is because then it allows me to come back to today and this present body and say, this is not forever, mm-hmm. but there is good in what is here right now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to last forever, but there can be something good that happens today. That's and that awesome. hope is what carries us. Your book is called Miscarried Hope, Journeying with Jesus Through Pregnancy and Infant Loss. This is what this book looks like. And so I wanted our listeners to have a chance to hear your heart on this beautiful message of hope. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation today, for just sharing so graciously with uh, all of our listeners. And Rachel, I would love it if you would share, where can we find you? Where's the best place for us to connect with you? Sure. Yeah. I would love to connect with anyone listening. Um, the best way to find me is my website, rachelloman.com. And uh, you can also find me on Instagram at rachel.loman or hope again collective. Awesome. And I will share all of those links in the show notes. I say show notes, but people really, all you have to do is just scroll down a little bit. It's nothing fancy. Scroll down a little bit. You'll see all the links and I will make sure that I provide a book link in that section as well. Rachel, thank you again. I want to pray for our listeners and just thank you in prayer as well for being a part of this conversation today. And we'll close Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for Rachel's heart, for this ministry, for this precious resource called miscarried hope. God, there are so many people who long to journey with you, but the pain and the loss and the sorrow is so great that they're unsure where to begin. And so, Lord, I pray if they're listening now that they would be encouraged to pick up this beautiful resource to connect with Rachel, to know that they are not alone in this deep pain and that there is hope. There's hope in heaven and there's hope on this side of heaven because we have one another. We have your word and our minds can be renewed through hope. I pray that this resource would just find its way into the hands of all the people who need it. Lord, you are the ultimate guide. We praise you and thank you. And I pray now that you would bless Rachel richly for being willing to write about the hard things, for being willing to share with us deeply from her heart and from her research and all that she has gained. I pray that you would Just bless her, Lord, richly. And in the name of Jesus, we pray all of this. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Untangling Life podcast with Rachel Wojo. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to subscribe. For show notes and free resources, visit rachelwojo.com. See you again soon. Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? I mean, you are called by God, and aren't we all praying the big prayer, here I am, Lord, send me. So if we put two and two together, 
you've got a message to deliver, my friend. Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, art to make, or businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast, which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. I use my mic like a machete, so if you don't like to get your toes stepped on or pushed off cliffs to finally jump on in with Jesus, I may be too much for you. But if you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, search and follow the Messenger Movement Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com today.